Left to the right, top to the floor When I say black history, say it's yours Black history, it's yours Black history, yes it's yours And we say it loud and proud again There's no America without the African Fighting to get it equal Black history, the story of the people Black history, it's yours Black history, yes it's yours it's your <laughs> Yay! All right, listeners, welcome to another week of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Oh, yeah. That's right. Heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on WRIR LP 97.3 Richmond Independent Radio. Yep. Here we are again, and we're doing yes. our series. Yes. Tell them about it, Melissa. We are doing a Black History Month, Black History Makers series on yes. municipal mania so that we can honor the folks that we admire while they're alive, because yes. that's really what's important. Honor those who are doing good in the community and for the community while they're here. Uh, super important to us and should be super important to like everyone, right? Because once somebody's gone, you can't tell them how awesome they are and all the accolades you give them and stuff like that and all the wonderful things they've done. They deserve the honor now. So Give them their flowers while they're here. That's right. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and so we're continuing on with that this week uh, with our esteemed repeat guest who will turn the floor over to him to uh, to introduce himself. Give a little background. Oh, hey. <laughs> it's your turn. Up. All right. Well, what's up, everybody? Um, My name is Rodney Robinson. I am the 2019 National Teacher of the Year. But more importantly, I am a 22-year veteran of Richmond Public Schools. I've spent 19 of those years in the classroom, and I'm currently a senior advisor in the talent office of Richmond Public Schools in charge of teacher pathways. Oh, that's a cool position. Can you talk about it a little more? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Teacher Pathways is really just an assortment of jobs, but the main focus is to create more teachers and better teachers. Um, everything from student teachers to practicum students to teacher residencies to uh, tuition reimbursement to licensure to everything involving the betterment of teachers. And they're in all. Richmond Public Schools, you know, whether it's yeah. one to get their license renewed or whether it's one to go into leadership. My office helps teachers transition into whatever they want to do. You know, as long as we got the funds, we try to make it happen. And so it's really a creative position. Um, within that, of course, is the RVA Men Teach Program, which is part of the Dream for RPS Strategic Initiative. Yeah to get more male minority teachers in the city of Richmond. And so it's just a, a lot of jobs <laughs> rolled into to one title. And so it's really a blessing and an honor because whatever job I'm doing, I have a pulse on all of them. So if I want to work on recruiting male minority teachers, I can go there. If I want to do this, I can go there. And so Teacher Pathways just gives me the option to pretty much help any teacher within the district, any, any instructional assistant, any school counselor, whatever you want to do. If you got an idea, you shoot it to my office and we're going to help you try to get there. Yeah. So you, you're in the business of, of building better teachers and creating opportunities. I like it. Yes. yes. I like it. I like it a lot. And, and RPS, need, not just RPS, all, all the schools, every, all yeah. the school districts right now need that. But RPS especially needs that. And that's a very important. I didn't even know that was your new role. I'm excited. I want to hear all about this. Yeah, well, well last year, Darlene Curry, doc, Dr. Darlene Curry, who was PD, professional development, teacher, she did so much. She just she resigned last uh, July. And so they say, okay, Darlene's gone. Rodney, you can take over Darlene's job. And I was like, okay, now you're going to give me the shoes of the busiest person in RPS to fill. But as I realized I'm not even going to try to fill her shoes. I'm just going to try to create my own shoes in my own way. Uh, Dr. Like Curry, I, I told her this to her face. I would have never become teacher of the year without Dr. Curry's support for my years in Richmond Public Schools. Because I remember um, one of, after one of my interviews, I, I maybe a Virginia teacher of the year, I was talking to one of the people in the that was one of the judges. 
uh, not judges, but, you know, panel members. And he said, you won strictly off of your resume. You know, I just wanted to make sure you could put together two sentences and talk normal. (laughs) But based on your resume, you blew everyone else out of water. And I would have never gotten that resume without Dr. Darlene Curry, you know, encouraging me to do this, creating ways for me to do that, encouraging me to go back to school to get my master's, encouraging me to teach AP classes at Armstrong when most people weren't even thinking about AP and Armstrong and pushing me through so many other opportunities and programs, whether it be state committees, national conferences. And so I truly want to thank her for helping me become the teacher I am and becoming National Teacher of the Year, because like I said, I wouldn't have got it without Dr. Curry's support. And so to be able to take over her role was kind of just challenging at first, just like, oh, my gosh, I know everything she did. Actually, I had no idea of everything she did. Every day something else comes across my table. And I was like, wow, she did that, too. You know, but at the the same time, I'm figuring it out. And so this year has been a, a Unique journey into how sausage is made sometimes, and it's not always pretty, but at the same right. time, it's going to get made. Yes, and and such a beautiful way to pay homage to the the investment that she she gave to you yes. to now pay that back to all to all these teachers that you touch. Yes. That talk a little bit about that and what that legacy building um, looks and feels like, and why that's important, especially for teachers of color um, right now. Well, it's just simply I know my story and I tell people all the time I never would have got anything without the strong network that Richmond Public Schools created for me when I started. You know, I was my first year teaching. Uh, my, men- my principal was Ron Herman, who was just a veteran teacher. My mentor my first year was David Hudson, current principal of Franklin Military, award winning principal. My second year, my mentors was Rodney Berry, who's now the supervisor of correctional education for VDOE, Alan Vernon, who's an assistant principal at John Marshall. And so I had just a strong network of people around me when I first got started, and that's why I'm successful. And so my goal is to make sure every teacher in Richmond Public Schools has that strong network around them, because reality is most teachers leave at 50 percent of all teachers leave after three years. Well, if we can surround them with love and understanding and build up their professional development in those first three years, we can get them to stay. And so that's really my whole goal is to pay it forward, pour into other people what was poured into me. That's a that's a great point to bring up, especially at a time right now when folks are hyper focused on the effects of the pandemic and what Mm -hmm. it's meant for jobs. Um, the attrition rate for teachers is also very high, but it's all it's been high before the pandemic. Yeah. And there are certain trends sometimes that uh, kind of get followed or kind of fall into place in terms of uh, who wants to teach certain grades and who wants to teach at certain schools. And yeah. um, when that when that drop off kind of happens and teachers end up leaving, talk about how. One, kind of what those different challenges are for our school system, but also how the program that um, you're working in kind of try to kind of helps in that that situation to retain teachers. Well, the reality is a lot of teachers leave the profession because they don't feel supported and valued. You know, most people didn't come into education wanting to make big bucks. I mean, you understood that when you signed the contract. You know, it's more of a... It's a love, a dedication. And so what we want to do is we want to put the resources around you to make that easier, to to help you throughout your day, to help you uh, build, you know, navigate your issues that all teachers have. Because, you know, I'm not spilling no secrets when I tell you schools of education are doing a not a good job. I'll just say that they're not doing a good job in preparing teachers Mm -hmm. For, for education, especially teaching in urban environments. And so Absolutely. what we want to do is we want to create programs. We want to create things to make that transition easier, whether it be an in-building mentor, whether it be pedagogical support, whether it be, you know, how to get to know the kids in this neighborhood, the kids in the city of Richmond, the parents of the city of Richmond. It's really about mm-hmm. building up all that support to make your job easier. Because mm-hmm. like I said, 50% of all teachers are leaving. And if anybody wants to come in, my goal is to say, if you leave, I want you to leave education. I don't want you to leave Richmond Public Schools. If you if you right. say I want to leave, you're, that's because you're fed up with the education system and you're out of here. 
I don't want you yeah. to just say, well, Richmond didn't treat me right, so I'm going to leave. Well, well, come back here. Let's talk about that. What does it take to treat you? What does treat you right mean? Because that can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, 2015, yes. I was on the VCU um, study, Merck study, about teaching morale. And one thing we talked about was how every teacher has a different motivation for being in the classroom. That's why it's really yeah. important to talk to them, to understand what is your motivation, what helps you get through, and to provide them the support to help get through. And so it's really just a job of building as many good teachers as possible and trying to retain them because, I mean, they're leaving, <laughs> you know, and we just want to make sure the reasons that you're leaving are things that we couldn't control. Yes. 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 This political climate is seeping into education. It's uh, once again, seeping into the classroom and into the lives of teachers and their curriculum. How do you support teachers who are concerned about particularly the Virginia political climate and how it's going to affect their job? Well, my goal, my goal is just to don't worry about the politics. That that's 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 central office's job. We, you know, they get paid extra money to deal with that. I want you to focus on what's going on with the kids that were little Johnny, little Jessica, little Ty, Ty that's sitting in front of you. That's what I want you to focus yes. on. All those yes. big, big issue things, let us deal with that. And so it's really about keeping the teachers focused on the, on the, the main, keep the main thing the main thing, as I always say, and that is children. Yes. But the reality is uh, the political climate is just trash right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better term. And okay. Luckily, in Richmond Public Schools, we don't have to deal with the same stuff that other people deal with. You know, I'm so, I tell people the other day, it's like, hey, we got our issues, but at least CRT ain't one of them. And so it's, just, it's a blessing in the skies to have to not deal with that sort of craziness. And so that's what I tell people about Richmond Public Schools. Look, you're going to be able to teach what you need to teach, what you want to teach. You don't have to worry about parents coming in, complaining about different what you're teaching your children, this and that. Just do your job and understand administration is going to have your back when it comes down to when it comes down to it. And so the political climate right now is just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. It's it's not very. There's no nice way, Rodney. (laughs) It's, It's not conducive to promoting the field of education right now. And so that's why I always tell teachers, look, just focus on your kids. Any of that other stuff, just let, you know, your administrators handle it, let central office handle it. Just worry about those kids in front of you, making sure that they can read, making sure that they can write, do math, learn your subject. But all that politics stuff, teachers, don't worry about that. You know, well, RPS teachers, I can't say teachers in other areas, they have different different people they serve or different stakeholders. Demographics. Yeah, yeah, different stakeholders. So they may have to worry about that. But in RPS, I just want to just teach what you need to teach and understand when it comes to, to that craziness, you're covered. We got your back. And so it's really just a labor of love. Just focus on what you like to do. Focus on those kids because that's all that matters. That is the truth. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's interesting that you brought that up, um, Melissa, because Yesterday, I believe a new poll came out and it actually talked about what Virginians are like, how Virginians are polling on the local politics right now. And one of the things that was very interesting, majority of Virginians do not agree with the recent banning of CRT and nor do they think that it should be taken taken out of the curriculum. Another pointed piece was majority of Virginians right now do not think that students should be required to have a vaccine, but teachers should, which is interesting. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> the political piece is is interesting in and of itself, but it's also very, I don't know, it's, it's, it's wishy-washy right now. And so one of the yes. things that I think is, yeah, is wishy-washy. And so, you know, the public, general public, we all understand and could understand as people, right? And as and as potential parents or whatever, why parents might be feeling a little worried, you know, about maybe vac- vaccinating their kids. But of course, they feel like that same, that a di- it's a different burden for the teacher that's in the classroom. And so, you know, it's always interesting to kind of hear how folks navigate or even rationalize that difference. Like teacher needs to be vaccinated, but 
I don't know how I feel about my own kid having to have that same vaccination. That's probably mo- in most cases protecting the, the teacher that's in the classroom and the other, the older pe- folks that are, you know, in the school. So it's very interesting, but it's not something that I think whether in a pandemic or not, the focus should always still be the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been finding a lot of, of these arguments. Melissa and I talk about it all the time as a sidebar. Um, so many of these arguments that are made all the time is like, where do the kids win in, in this, whatever this argument is, you know, for more this or less that or extra this or extra that. And it's like, where's the kid? Where are the kids in this? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're ultimately going to deal with complicated issues, because one thing as an educator, I never believe is that regardless of what a parent thinks, I'm still a teacher. I'm not the parent. So I would never tell a parent how to feel about their kids or what they think their kids should do. However, I do think parents should be open and have conversations with their children. You know, there are some children who want the vaccine, even though their parents don't allow them to get it. Have those conversations. Always be open and honest. I think too many education conversations take place without the voice of children. You know, have children come in, have them make decisions. If I got a 12, 13 year old, hey, how do you feel about the vaccine? You know, and I'll state my opinion, let them state their opinion. I think it's a case of just being an adult, teaching them how to grow, how to do things, teaching them about community and understanding the consequences of all decisions that they have to make and just get out the way. But far too often, we're seeing parents use children as pawns in their political game to the point where I've talked to teachers who say parents are bribing them to not get the vaccine, to do things that the kids know are safe. Because, I mean, it's teenagers. You can talk a teenager pretty much into anything if you're if you're a competent adult, you know? And so I think I don't like when people do that because that's not the way it is. I think you should put everything out on the table and say, this is what it is. You're, you're grown enough to make your decisions. But however, you got to wear your mask. You got to do this. You got to take care of community and take care of people. And so I really think I would never supersede the wishes of a parent. You know, if a parent doesn't want the kid to get a vaccine, that's fine. But I also think every parent should sit down and have a conversation with their children about the vaccine and the pros and cons of getting the vaccine and use actual facts and not something you looked up on the Internet on your favorite website that's only going to give you confirmation bias. Have the students. I mean, it can be turned into a research project. Research the vaccine. Research, you know, give you know, primary sources. Let's talk about this. Turn this into something rather than just forcing my political will on, on my kids, because that's what makes me feel better as a parent. And trust our kids. Yeah. It, that's like, that sounds like uh, critical thinking. Uh, yes, I was about to say, yes. like, okay, critical thinking. They don't want that. I mean, let's <laughs> be honest. They, that's why the whole CRT debate is going on, because in 2020, when those parents had to answer some hard questions about race and everything that they didn't want to answer, either they didn't want to answer or made them uncomfortable answering, wait a minute, the schools are teaching our kids how to think for themselves. So let's get into it and see what's going on in these schools. And that's how the whole CRT thing got going because kids started critically thinking on their own and making the adults uncomfortable. It's not the kids that are uncomfortable having these conversations. Kids have these conversations all day, every day. I mean, some of the conversations the kids have in the classroom, I'm like, whoa, whoa, we can, no, I don't want to be a part of that, you know? But, But at the same time, I think the adults have to say, if a kid wants to have this conversation, let me have it. Let's talk about it. But they 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 don't feel equipped to talk about it, and they just want to ban everything. My kid asked me a question: where they learn it? You know, I mean, kid probably had that question since they was eight years old. You gave him a smartphone with the internet at age nine, and now you're surprised that they're asking questions that are outside the realm of things you teach them when you gave them something that gives them 24 hour access to information. I think the good thing is that they're, they're thinking critically and answering questions. The problem is you're uncomfortable answering the questions they have. So now you have to find a big boogie monster, blame somebody. So right now it's critical race theory. And then you decide, hey, this is something we can win elections on. So now you just ramped it up even more. And it's really all just political theater. It's really political theater. And they just want to run the schools. They want, it's all about taking care of themselves. They know they're going to be all right in the system. And that's for the parents that 
not necessarily are vested in the critical race argument, but I can stay out of it because I know my kids going to be all right in the end. And then the kids that are really going to affect it are the kids that's most likely to look like you and I. You know, those are the kids yep. that are really going to be affected because you slash funding, because you cl- you cut curriculum. And the other people, yep. that kid's like, I'm going to be all right, so I can afford to stay out of this conversation. Now, nah, you need to yep. get a, get on board and have this conversation for everybody, for the people that can't speak or the people who are being, not the people that can't speak, the people that are being ignored. That's the Ignored, thing. yeah. Yep. Purposefully ignored. I think that's another comment, Melissa, and I make all the time is, are we teaching critical thinking in the schools? So <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I don't, I would really love an answer to that because when I was in, I distinctly remember, and I'm going to date myself in the eighties and, and nineties, when I was going to school, I remember doing critical thinking exercises, but mm-hmm. I've been a nanny, a babysitter or whatever. And I have seen, and you know, auntie and I see stuff coming through. And when I say, are you doing critical thinking in class they're like what are you talking about well i think i mean there's two things here number one critical thinking is taught in schools because all the history curriculums now and especially in virginia focus on building critical thinking skills and so so uh, sorry you just not do like a specific lesson like called critical thinking it's more like woven in woven in that's why we're not seeing it okay yeah and the problem is a lot of teachers are having trouble making that transition from teaching basic facts to providing students facts and letting them think and form their own opinion because once you do that then now the adults are uncomfortable answering some of the questions that the kids are asking but another thing is technology let's be honest Technology has eliminated critical thinking skills. And I, I, t- I see it with my niece and nephews all the time. The fact that you don't have to process information. You have something in your hand that processes information for you all day, every day. And so when yep. you don't have to make those critical decisions or critically think about things every day, you just go through life not using those skills. And if you don't build those skills, they're there. like I'll give you an example. When I came, Thanksgiving, family came over. You know, you know, my my nephew pulls up, parks in the middle of the driveway. Nobody else can park in the driveway because they park right in the middle, halfway between the house, halfway between the road. Normally we didn't get four cars in my driveway. But now because my nephew parked there, we only got one. And I and I thought about it, I was like, I could fuss at him, but the reality is he didn't think that he didn't think yep. it through. He just thinks this space, let me park. I don't have to think about anything else. And there's just so many decisions that young people make where technology has eliminated the need to think through things. You know, everything is fast, it's instant. There's a parking spot. I can park right here. Let me go away. I don't have to think about anybody else and what they need. And so it's really, it's just a sort of a societal thing. And I think often talk to history teachers, the most important thing we can do is teach our kids how to think. And it's also, by the way, a way around all this critical race theory stuff just get rid of the buzz names, the code words, and just put documents in front of their face and teach them how to read and analyze these documents. Because nobody's going to say, well, you can't say that. Well, I said that in the Constitution. You know, that's what we're reading. Your, your, your greatest document ever created. That's how, it's, that's how we're doing it. And so that's really what it's all about. You have to teach children how to think, how to apply things to different situations, because outside of school, they don't do that. They really don't because information is so readily available to them. They don't have to build up those skills. Yeah. We need to give them the tools to understand and research subjects on their own outside of school and be confident in, in doing that as well. And teach them how to read. That's the number one thing. The revolution will be literate. That is my thing. That is my thing. I don't want to tell you if I teach you how to read, I don't have to teach you how to do anything. Because as long as you can learn how to read, then you can figure it out on its own. The problem is right now, reading skills in America are. uh, Oh, Oh, look, we see it on Twitter all the time. We got grown adults who can't comprehend (laughs) a simple sentence. Yeah. They just twist it and turn it and mess it up into whatever. Reading skills are low right now. Hmm. The The only state that's growing right now is Mississippi when it comes to reading skills. The only state that has grown in the past couple years and is Mississippi. And that's, you wanna know why? They, they, they studied the science of reading and they said, hey, 
this is what kids need to do to learn to read. And they start implementing that in all their schools. They start implementing it in their colleges and universities. So therefore, when teachers come out, teachers know about the science of reading and they're teaching it to their students. They're not doing all of these other theoretical things and all these unproven, well, proven wrong theories. They base theirs on science, on brain, <laughs> brain development, and teach children how to read. That's why Mississippi is the only state on the Nate that are growing. Everybody else is falling. The revolution will be literate. I keep saying that over and over again. I want teach that tattooed on me somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. The revolution will be literate. That is fantastic. But that's, but that's what people don't want. People don't want people. Yeah. I'm not, I can say people don't want. That's what... A lot of society no, doesn't doesn't want literate a literate society because a literate society is a society that can't be manipulated and controlled. And Free so, thinking is absolutely. scary. Exactly, and and like I said, and that's what happened last year. Kids started reading and learning things on their own, asking parents uncomfortable questions. Now let's create the CRT mm -hmm. boogie monster so that we can control curriculum so that our kids aren't asking us these questions that are making us feel uncomfortable. Message. Yeah. And, and that's a that's a historical battle that we have fought as black people in this country. Literacy has been the key, but but also at the same time during different times in this country, also the curse of trying to excel and get there. And so. You're absolutely right by saying, you know, they can be a multitude of different people or entities. But when you are kept illiterate and you can't read, it makes it a whole lot easier for you to be taken advantage of and manipulated. And that was used against us for a long time to keep us. That's um, a, re that's a reason free. it was against the law. That was a reason it was against yeah. the law to read. That's why you had your yeah. forefinger and your thumb cut off. If you could read, if you or in some cases you were killed. Because yeah, you presented you a threat. Yes, absolutely. Because you you spread information that we don't want. We don't want that done, being done. We don't want you to be able to see your way home or be able to create. And it's it's so interesting, even knowing that how resilient we as a people have been through all of that, and to still be working on that, right? Still be yeah. working there to find value there. Um, and it's still so hard sometimes to convince folks how important that really is. Um, and I think that we don't always understand either how critical literacy is to just to a community. And I think back to the gap years that happened when public schools were closed in Farmville mm -hmm. and you had grown adults that are living right now yep. that had several gap years in their education mm -hmm. during critical literacy learning years and how that impacts the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. Don't you, you, you're bringing up a sore point. We can talk about Farmville. You get me on my, my, my soapbox about Brown versus board of education, because yeah. I really think that's where education kind of took a very wrong turn in Brown versus board of education. And, and I say that because what you did in Brown was you fired 60,000 black teachers, you know, yes. and you forced kids to integrate into a system that didn't even view them as human. Martin Luther King said it best. The most important thing that black people have are the minds of children. And to put that in the charge of people who don't even view them as human beings is not a great idea. And ever since then, we've struggled because black kids were told school wasn't for them. And we, and it's an argument we still struggle with to this day, because when they go to school, nothing reflects their society. Nothing reflects them. The teachers don't look like them. The stories don't look like them. Everything. And kids have a negative impression of school because they're told that it's not for them. And it's an inadvertent message that we send to black children. But that's the reality of it. And so until we go to repair the harm done in Brown versus Board and get some more black and brown teachers in this country, we're still going to see these gaps. And, you know, I would tell people this, this, this is facts, not feelings. You know, I can yep. put up facts, feel, I can put up studies all day that talks about adultification bias, the criminalization of black kids. The fact that you don't yep. even think black kids can learn in a lot of these cases, it's not inadvertent. It's not, you know, blatant racism. It's just your unconscious bias. And when you have that unconscious bias, 
it comes out through your actions. And so your ability to not see the giftedness in black kids, black kids, black and white kids, the same um, background, uh, social economic background, education background, that white kid is still twice as likely to get into gifted classes. You know, these are the conversations I want to have in education, but it makes people uncomfortable. So therefore, no one wants to have these conversations. And I'm still going to push. I'm still going to say, hey, we need to start talking about how your bias affects the children that you teach. And I'm hey, I have bias, too. You know, I started in Richmond. I had a lot of misconceptions about urban education and urban students that I had to unlearn before I could truly unlock the potential of my students. There's nothing wrong with admitting you have bias. The problem is when you say that, when you let that bias influence how you treat kids and then don't want to change it, everything is wrong with them. Everything is wrong with the system rather than saying, wait a minute, something's kind of wrong with me. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. You know, teachers are teaching and the children aren't learning. So in comes a new curriculum and all of a sudden the teacher wants to say, oh, I should be able to teach what I always taught. Well, what you always taught wasn't necessarily working. So how as a teacher can you and I build a bridge to take this research based material and you can use your ability to make this adaptable to our students? And we really, really need to have these conversations about how our biases and everything affects how we teach children. And far too many people are afraid to have it. Yes. And and it's that's one of the things I think I was hitting on earlier. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, a common a, a common uh, trend when you have a certain particular demographic for teachers that are in elementary school and then. Once they they get to they, they you know they excel maybe through a couple grades or they may maybe move around mm-hmm. but they don't go to middle school they don't graduate to middle school or they don't they don't go on to teach in other areas because you know and there's all different types of reasons right that are are brought to the table but in reality it's you will go to another elementary school or you'll go to a different place and you end up teaching a totally different demographic of children than where you are because this, the district that you were working in, black kids are scary once they get to a yeah. certain age. And and we don't want to discuss that and break that down to yeah. a, po- a level where it's not necessarily about black kids being any more aggressive than white kids at a certain age. It is just a, a preconceived notion that you have about kids as they, um, a, p- a particular color of kids as they mature and as they go through adolescence and it's harmful to the kids when you have people that believe that and and teachers that still have those types of notions and then ascribe meaning to them in their classrooms and how they deal with students and who gets sent to the office and who gets a second chance and who gets uh, sent to the principal and then who has an interaction with the SRO and who, you know, and it, it just moves, um, it creates a, a very particular pattern for yep. some kids over another because yep. of the, the preconceived understanding that a teacher may have that is is feelings and not facts. Exactly. And so for, we, we need to stop that. We need to view all kids with the potential they have. We need to push them. We need to uplift them. We need to be honest with ourselves and stop. It's okay. The thing I tell teachers, it's okay to admit you don't know something. It's all right. You know, nothing is more powerful to a student than saying, yo, I don't I don't know. Let's find out Let's together. Learn. Let's you know, learn yeah. together. Yeah. Or saying, hey, you you acting up. What, what, am, what am I doing to cause you to act this way? What am I doing to trigger this behavior? Because I know you don't act like that down the hall. Let's have a conversation yep. about what we need to do to make this better for you. But far too often, people let egos get in the way. People get on power trips and just swallow your pride and just do what's best for our kids. That, that's really the, the thing everybody needs to do in education is just to step back from the table and say, hold up, let's figure this thing out together. Bring in the parents, bring in everybody. Let's have these conversations. You know, I think one thing we don't talk about in education that's really an issue, I think, is the classism in education. You know, especially in the city of Richmond, we got majority middle-class people teaching you know, kids in poverty and a lot. Yep. And this is black and white. This isn't just white. This is a black and white yep. thing. If you went to college and yep. graduated, 
whether you make money or not, that puts you in the middle class from a mindset, a way of thinking, because everything about college is middle class values, no matter which college you went to. What you have to do is you have to say, come down off of that perch and actually talk to your kids, talk to the communities, work it out, because <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've called colleagues saying stuff I'm like, whoa. Nah, you don't, you don't, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to think like that. Even if you do think like that, don't vocalize it, but try to be better. That's the way, that's the way we got to be. And one of the things I hate more than anything is when teachers or college educated people try to tell parents and students, I know what's best for you. I think that's the worst thing we can do in education is to say, hey, I know what's best for you. I know what's best for these kids because I went to college and I learned it. Nah, nah, nah. No. You don't, you don't no, know what you, these kids have survived, what these parents have survived. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have yeah. way more knowledge than you will ever have. And so let's partner with them. Let's work it out. One of, the, one of the things, and I'll be honest, I know people have been saying this about me. I'm not totally against charter schools. You know, people, people get mad at me, but I can, if you, first of all, if you study the history of Black education, you will know that the majority of things that have excelled Black students are charter schools. They may have had different names, freedom schools, school choice, private schools, um, religious schools, but they were all schools that were based on their own charter. And that charter is we as a collective community understand what's best for our children. And you, all the teachers and everybody work toward that principle. Now, am I, I'm against charter schools in the way they're being proposed in the legislature where everything is privatized and people are just trying to make a quick buck off of our kids. No. But if a community comes in and say, hey, we know what's best for our school, our students, we are taxpayers. Let us have our tax money to make a school that fits our children. I think that is a good idea because ultimately education is about freedom. You know, if these parents say, hey, we do this. We pay taxes. Let's do. Let's make it work for our own children. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's done everywhere else around the country. Some of the best schools you'll run across are just single-run neighborhood charter schools that are having all kinds of success with black and brown students because they have black and brown boys, they have black and brown teachers, and they know how to relate to the black and brown community. And I know that's something a lot of folks don't want to hear. That's something I've seen people take little shots at me on Twitter about. But I'm a firm believer in, hey, if a parent wants to educate their kids free of the racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia that goes on in America, public school systems, hey, Mm. who am I to stand in the way? And I think far too often so many people are trying to tell kids, hey, and tell parents public school is great. Public school is great for you. Public school isn't necessarily great for a lot of our kids. And if our parents want to create a different type of public schools, because charter schools are public schools. I hate that argument that charter schools are private. Charter schools are public school. It's just taking tax money and doing it the way that the neighborhood thinks it should be done. I'm all for that neighborhood empowerment, community empowerment, without the constraints of a system that wasn't necessarily designed to benefit the people in that neighborhood. If you look at it, one of the things I think it always come it, it never comes up in the charter school conversation is exactly what you said it's it's the it's the collection of of tax money in the locality mm-hmm. where they have the decisions and and the power to a certain degree to make the decisions that they think are best for their kids and if you really explore how the school system the public school system that we have is funded through the LCI that already happens Mm-hmm. In in certain tax uh, uh, brackets, anyway, across the city, and then and then the, there there. Uh, well, I'm just saying, but they're multiplier, right? <laughs> they don't want to hear they're, that. They're because we we want we want we you know we go to the to the general assembly and we're like the LCI is broken. We need a poverty multiplier. We need all these other things. But in these in these certain neighborhoods, I won't call any names, but. They have that and their multiplier is called the PTA, yeah. right? And, and they continue to fund the things that they want to see in their school and their, their uh, property values pushes and continues to push and excel. And they do get the better look, the better schools, and they do get the better teachers and they do get the better this because it, they, they are able to then control and create 
what they decide is yep. is better in their not only their community but the school the community the the parks mm-hmm. around it all those other things are affected by that tax money and people mm-hmm. don't understand how that actually yep. is exactly what people are saying we just want better control over our tax money yep. right and so people have made charter schools to be the big bad boogie. And of course, at, at some point, mm-hmm. in some way, they are. If you've ever listened to nice white parents, it will infuriate you, right? As, how, as to how white people can come, can come in. <laughs> I listened <laughs> to a little bit of a friend's recommendation and I was like, well, I'm just going to throw my yeah. laptop now. I, know, I, I mean, River. I, I've seen it, it for it, 20 it, plus it, years, so there's no need. Yeah, it does. It, it, ta- it continues to talk about how, how white system how white people can come into school systems and infiltrate the power system the money the the support system the administration the teachers the pta and and recreate a school right and and there's one in this particular example where one floor of the school is one charter school and another floor of the school is the public school that's a black school and it's like night and day and it's the same it's two floors of the same damn building and it is it's just mind blowing. Mm. But that is that is how people that is how money controls yeah. that system. And so that's all that it is. And so when people talk about how they think that charter schools do so much to this and then do, do, do so much to that, I can give you a long list of a black people. List that have benefited because that's what charter schools are is, is school choice school. how many people have benefited from school, school choice, choice and and have figured out how to navigate that system to give your child or yourself a better a, a better avenue or route yeah. through education mm-hmm. when what you're given or what you are allotted you know doesn't necessarily work or doesn't work for you and so yeah. the same way that these parents and families build together and raise mm-hmm. $70,000 in a PTA and all these other things, right? When when their school has a, a mishap, those we the other communities don't have that liquid capital to do that, right? When they need a new ba- a new football field or when they need um, new uniforms for the football team or other things, they don't have that capital, right, to do that. And so if you if I don't have that capital where I, that access capital, right, mm-hmm. at least let me have a little bit con- better control over the allotted dollars that you give to say this is what's going to happen to your child. Because at the moment, what you're doing is unsatisfactory. Mm-hmm. But that's my soapbox on it. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Trust me. Trust me. I, I, I firmly agree. Only thing I disagree with you just said was that they have better teachers because they do not have better teachers. They just have no, more support. You know, I tell people, well, I, people yeah, will get mad at me at National Teacher of the Year all the time. People try to put me in this box about, oh, you teaching corrections. Yeah, I could come teach at your school, but can you come teach at mine? You know what I mean? Nope. You got nope. nope. to understand that. And the answer is no. A lot of those teachers couldn't cut, cut it a day. You know, you, right. you couldn't cut it a day at Armstrong. You know, I did 12 years there. I didn't understand the community. Yeah. Those kids are amazing. But you come in with your preconceived notions. And next thing you know, mm-hmm. you're wondering why a kid has said something out of the way to you when you've done nothing but commit a microaggression from the moment that kid walked in your classroom. You know, that's true. I think we really I think one of the one of the worst arguments in education and this goes back to Brown versus Board of Education. And it's just an elitist, classist, uh, racist argument is that in order for black kids to be successful, they need to have proximity to the whiteness. Like integration is going to solve all of our problems. That is not yeah. the case. So ending systemic racism will solve all of our problems, giving us the resources that other people have had, giving us open the doors that other people have will solve will solve our problems not sitting us in the classroom next to a white student when we got to face the same microaggressions the same thing and be in a place that don't want us let's build a spot of our own and it, I, our readers read the education of blacks in the south by james anderson it's the book that's going to really influence and it tells you the truth about how black education really formed in this country and the reality is education for all people in this country is the idea of black people. Booker T. Washington said that, you know, it's really the, uh, the fact that every child should be educated. That's a black man's idea, a black woman's idea. Well, uh, other folks never believed in that until black folks stood up and said, hey, I want education. Then people said, wait a minute, 
if they get an education, then we deserve an education. And so we really need to go back and look at the history of how we educate ourselves and how we survived in this system of education in America, and then come back and I'll start having this debate with you on charter schools, school choice and all this. Because reality is, and I think people have school choice, it's just not for, school choice is a magnet school, school choice is governor school, school choice is code RVA. And I'm not picking on these places because every city has it, but that is school choice for other people. And I have people, issues with the parents who have kids that go to those schools who now say, oh, wait a minute, we don't, we're against school choice. Well, your kid has school choice. Your kid ain't living in the neighborhood of the people that you represent. Let's have that conversation. And so <laughs> I, I would actually go so far as, you know, it's probably giving me trouble. I don't care. But say that if your okay. kids do not attend their neighborhood public schools, you need to remove yourself from all school choice targets. Because that's hypocrisy. If your kids do not go to the neighborhood public schools, you are blocking someone else's right to something that you have. And I think it was a brother in um in Nebraska last year. You know, they were introducing the school choice bill, and he challenged them last year, said, I will vote against this bill if every single one of you politicians send your kids to the schools in my neighborhood. And then not a single one of them did it. So this year he said, okay, since since none of you all did it, I am going to vote for this school choice. You know, and this is a black man in Nebraska who had the conversation. But I think I think that's one area where the Democrats are wrong. You know, I tell people all the time when it comes to education, you know, I'm I'm pretty much firmly in the middle. And in the middle of me is what works best for kids. You know, that's what I truly believe now. Other things, yeah, I'm, yeah. forget all of them when it comes to that other stuff, the personal beliefs. Yeah, but education is an area where I'm in the middle. I'll work with anybody, have any conversation, as long as that conversation is about what's best for kids. And when we start to take these political sides and arguments without actually studying the kids, studying the communities, what's best, we are doing a disservice to every student in the state of Virginia. Also, like what kind of example are these folks setting anyway for kids when they are twisting narratives, not actually understanding the subject that they're talking on and being so confidently wrong about it? You know, like really, (laughs) we have so many folks speaking on things that they have no expertise on, but yet, you know, I'm an armchair expert, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's what they do. I mean, it's not about who's right, it's who's loudest and who's most ignorant at this point in, polit- in politics. <laughs> who, who can generate the most, the most outrage? And the media feeds right into it. The media just says, oh, this person said this, let's focus on this, not necessarily this. You know what I mean? We're focusing on all these things right now. And I'm like, you know, Whiff was too old when I was there. In 2002, George Whiff was falling apart. We're not, I'm, we're not yeah. going to let this conversation fall by the wayside, regardless of what else is going on in the city. You know, so we, we, we need to keep having this conversation. And I know that's something a lot of people don't want to hear. Like, we have the bandwidth for multiple things, but just because what you deem is important doesn't mean that that's important to everyone else. But we're getting close to wrapping. I want to make sure that if there's anything that you want to talk about, Rodney, that we haven't hit on yet, you know, that you have the floor. Oh, okay, cool. This um, is your day. <laughs> but clearly, you know, I'm going to always promote RVA Men Teach about getting more male minority teachers in education. And people always say, well, Rodney got this program. No, Rodney don't have this program. This is a program the community of Richmond acts for because they know that the lowest performing groups are black and Hispanic boys. And and all studies show you that the number one way to improve them is to get black and Hispanic male teachers. And so this is a, this is a request by the people of the city of Richmond. And I'm just happy to, to run this program and network and work. I'm having conversations now with how can we expand this, you know, not just Richmond, make this true RVA men teach, talking to Chesterfield and Ryko, Powhatan. Let's have these conversations with everybody because it's not just the Richmond problem. Everybody has these issues. Richmond took the lead by creating something for it, but everybody's having these issues right now. So what can we do to create better experiences 
for our black and brown boys in school. And it starts at a young age. We need to tell them education is for them. School is for them. Um, in a couple of weeks, I think I have to go to Fairfield Elementary School, Fairfield Court Elementary, to their career day. And I'm just going to set up and talk about education, teach it. Now, think about that. How many times do you see educators at career days, at schools? Oh, I can't remember that. Exactly. You bring in all these other people and you assume that a kid wants to go into education because, oh, the teachers are running. But a kid knows nothing about education other than the fact that they're astute. Let's start having conversations with them in elementary, middle, high school, creating pathways in elementary, middle and high school so that they can become teachers and really advertise the profession. I think somebody sent me a, 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 we call me, that said, you know, next time you see a tall black boy, tell them they can be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And I'm like, okay, let's add teacher to that list. Let's start having these conversations. You can't be what you can't see. And so that's going to be my goal. I'm going to be all over the city, all over the region, just talking about we need to get more black and Hispanic boys in education, more black and Hispanic women in education. We need more people of color in education, period. Because right now, we're as a whole, people of color in education are 18%. Meanwhile, students of color are 51%. Right. And (laughs) for them to have the opportunity to hear a personal story about why a black or brown man became a teacher Mm -hmm. and how inspirational that might be. The thing is, is that most kids see the surface of their teachers. They're they're not educated in the life of their teacher, the history of their teacher, or why Mm -hmm. that particular person got into education. And if you open the door to share the story, you know, yeah, all yeah. of those stories, I think that's so important. And they may hate that teacher. Let's be honest. That, they, that teacher might be somebody that they can't relate to or somebody who's on a different level of it, you know, but seeing somebody who looks like you, somebody who understands you and understands that, hey, you have skills that could easily be converted into education. I tell people all the time, you know, if you're a basket, you're a point guard in basketball and you can run the floor and run an offense. Well, guess what? You can teach a classroom because those same skills that you have of relating to people, of teaching people, of telling people what to do, those are the same skills that educators have. So we really need to open the doors and tell everybody, hey, you can be an educator. And the only way you can do that is by putting educators in front of them who look like them and who have achieved something. You know, kids, like I said, I'll say it again, kids can't be what they can't see. And you think just because a kid sees a teacher every day that kids understand that. I mean, let's be honest. Some kids are told from the jump school isn't from them, you know, <laughs> and to have somebody say, wait a minute. Nah, it is for you. You know, I was just like you in school. You know, but now I'm teaching. So why don't we come and do this? And so I think we really need to be intent- intentional about our messaging to black and brown students about where they belong in society. Because I, far too often schools tell, send the message to them that, hey, this isn't for you. You know, and the numbers say that, you know, the suspension rates, referral rates, you know, all that tells them, hey, you're not welcome here. But my goal is like, look, if we got more people like you here, then we can change it. You know, I often live by the code of Tupac. So I, I might not change the world, but I might spark the mind that one day will change the world. And that's really the quote I live by. You know, I want to be able to spark that kid who can go on and do something great and be the next great teacher. Well, I think that I think that says it all right there. That's the message. Kids, kids can't be what they can't see. And I don't think there's a better, stronger message for what you've been able to accomplish, what you've been able to do and what you continue to do as an extension of that blessing for other people. And that's so important. And that's why we asked you to come on, because um, you're you're making history right now and continuing to do that through your gift and and through what you represent for the community at large. I got to get one more plug in. in. Teachers Caucus podcast, Uh, myself and um, Sean Sheehan, who is a finalist for National Teacher of the Year in 2016. And what we do is we have the conversations about education policy and we bring all the people on from around the country, from different states to talk about what's the education thing 
going on in your state that you want to bring attention to? Last week, we talked to Arkansas. We had them on talking about corporal punishment last week and how that's an issue in the legislature. So it's really a place where you can come to talk about educational policy for those policy nerds, for those education nerds. We feel like we're one of the few podcasters doing this. We're going to be on the South by Southwest education stage in March talking about we actually ooh, first time we're going to have myself three national teachers of the year on one show myself Juliana Ertebe's current national teacher of the year and Congresswoman Johanna Hates and we're just going to talk about education and policy myself and Sean check us out on Spotify give us a like give us a review please because all we have right now is right-wing hate mail is our review so please give us a positive review <laughs> yeah don't get me started on that <laughs> and the sad part is we don't say anything super controversial we just had people come on and talk education policy you know we just talk simple we talk from a we don't go we, we're not stupid we're not going to entertain stupid conversations and i think that's upset some people the fact that we're not going to get into the whole you know, CRT debate. We're not going to debate the liter- the legitimacy of anti-transgender laws. Not we don't talk about education policy of that nature. We're going to talk about the issues that affect students, teachers in the classroom with the students and the teachers who are in the classroom. So Teachers Caucus Podcast, check us out. Yes, we appreciate that. Tell, <laughs> tell our listeners where else they can find you um, if they want to continue this conversation or start another one. Um, with about some of the things that we've talked about today. How can they find you, follow you, support? Uh, Rod Robinson RVA, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. I'm just letting you know, you're not going to get a good opinion from me on Twitter just because, I mean, Twitter is not a real place. It's only a place where people go to, to be trolls and spot off know-it-all opinions, you know? <laughs> It's not, it's not, you know, I don't want to quote Chappelle because he's all kinds of issues right now. But one thing he said, Twitter is not a real place. You know, let's get in the streets. Let's have these conversations. So if you want to hit me up and have these conversations, let's have those one-on-one conversations. I'm a firm believer in nothing bad can come from a conversation, but I'm not going to debate my humanity, my, my life and those types of things with you. So hit me up, Rod Robinson, RVA, and we can have this conversation. We appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. The views and opinions of Rodney Robinson today do not represent the views and opinions of Richmond Public Schools. So please do not say that Richmond Public Schools said anything today. Rodney Robinson said things. Okay, Okay, let him know. Putting that out there. You said what you said, and you said it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, but we, we, again, we appreciate you. We lift you up right now. Thank you. Um, for doing all the things that you're doing for being I left you all up for doing everything that you're doing right now. I know you guys are going oh. through a lot and you're still making sure that people are hearing your voice, hearing the important issues in the in the city. So I truly want to show my appreciation for you all right now. Thank we appreciate so that. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listeners, as always, uh, connect with us on all social media platforms at RVA Dirt. Please uh, support our guest and go give him some good reviews <laughs> on, on his podcast because people are crazy right now. Yep. But per usual, Flint still has dirty water and so does New Jersey. And I think y'all might need to check on Petersburg too. Uh, RPS was fully funded and we're about to have a meeting about uh, some continued funding. Maybe they might go slash all these positions and now we need a whole elementary school and still need a high school, several middle schools and another high school, a lot of things. So we need all the monies, okay? We need all the monies. Mm-hmm. And I know it, you know it, we all know it together. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it one day at a time. And we're going to add in, we're going to add in Rodney's, you know. The revolution will be literate. Oh, yeah. Yes, I love it. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Fighting to get it equal. Black history, the story of the people. We gave you traffic lights to stop the crash. Almanacs, gas furnace, and gas mask. Gave you hip hop, teela rock, blues, and jazz. And fresh new dances with flair and pizzazz. Automatic gear shifts to move the cars. Potato chips and peanut butter in jars. Laundry dryers, home security systems, super soakers and suspenders. I could go on listing. Many contributions across institutions. Supreme Court and Ball Court, it's been an evolution. 
And we sing it every day Blue notes like Harold Melvin for this Billy Holiday We know what's going on Thanks to Marvin Gaye Get a bounce in our step on cue like Kid and Play Gwendolyn and Kendrick, our poets represent Hold mics tight like truths that's self-evident Yeah, we know our heroes fantastic But gotta remember the forgotten on the Atlantic We gotta honor our departed Taken from the land where humanity started Left to the right, top to the floor When I say black history, say it's yours Black history, it's yours Black history, yes, it's yours